Would you please turn in or turn on your Bibles to uh, Psalm 66. And if you don't have a Bible with you, you can find one on the pew rack in front of you, and that's on page 410. So we'll be reading from the New International Version, the 1984 edition. And you'll notice in this psalm, there are multiple places where you'll find the word selah, which is a pause for contemplation. Now, we will only do that momentarily, but notice that it's there because this is a psalm we are meant to read and think about and meditate on. Psalm 66. Shout with joy to God, all the earth. Sing the glory of his name. Make his praise glorious. Say to God, how awesome are your deeds. So great is your power that your enemies cringe before you. All the earth bows down to you. They sing praise to you. They sing praise to your name. Selah. Come and see what God has done, how awesome his works in man's behalf. He turns the sea into dry land. They pass through the waters on foot. Come, let us rejoice in him. He rules forever by his power. His eyes watch the nations. Let not the rebellious rise up against him. Selah. Praise our God, O peoples. Let the sound of his praise be heard. He has preserved our lives and kept our feet from slipping. For you, O God, tested us. You refined us like silver. You brought us into prison and laid burdens on our backs. You let men ride over our heads. We went through fire and water, but you brought us into a place of abundance. I will come to your temple with burnt offerings and fulfill my vows to you, vows my lips promised and my mouth spoke when I was in trouble. I will sacrifice fat animals to you and an offering of rams I will offer bulls and goats. Selah. Come and listen, all you who fear God. Let me tell you what he has done for me. I cried out to him with my mouth. My praise was on his my praise was his praise was on my tongue. If I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened, but the Lord has surely listened and heard my voice in prayer. Praise be to God who has not rejected my prayer or withheld his love from me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning, everyone. Hello. My name is Pastor Elmer Surigao, your mission partner from the Philippines. Thank you all for inviting me to, for this convocation this year, which you have been doing these past many years, inviting me over since 2013. 
Throughout these years, I feel so blessed to be able to connect with you all. Made friends along the way and was unofficially adopted by the same family ever since. This is my seventh and possibly my final convocation. Seven is a good number. It's a long story. Talk about it after the service. But oh, what a glorious convocation this has been all week. The phenomenal sermon last Sunday. Sorry, Pastor Tim, I don't have a rat story to share. The brown bag lunches, the talk on Tuesday, the missions partners lunch. Yay, Giordanos. The missions team, elder board, and program staff dinner, and yesterday's World um, Fair event that literally began with a blast. Oh my, what a week it has been. Am I right? All week, thank you. All week we've been hearing invitations to come and see, come and hear. From South Africa to Japan to Guyana, we've, been, we've seen and heard all the wonderful and amazing things that God has been doing these recent months. All good stuff. Something to praise God for. Could we just like for a moment again to give applause to God in behalf of all the hard work that our missions team and the missions partners had put together to produce this unforgettable convocation. Thank you, thank you. But as the convocation comes to a close, we might be forgetting one important thing. And that might be, well be the most important thing we see as we look again in this psalm. All this coming and seeing and coming and hearing amazing things that God has done in the life and ministry of our mission partners and even here in our passage in Psalm 66, verse 1 to 12 and verse 16. It'll be all for naught if we fail to obey what God is commanding us to do in the next half of Psalm 66, specifically verses 13 to 20. And for lack of a super-duper cool title, we need not only to come and see and to come and hear, but also to show and tell. Show and tell. Thank you, Children's Choir, for singing that wonderful song, I Have Decided to Follow Jesus. Let's follow God by not only coming and seeing and coming and hearing all this great stuff, but also do something about it locally. As a church and internationally with our missions partners, would you please stand up with me as I read again the second part of Psalm 66? Do you do that here when reading the scriptures? Sorry, I have to do this, not to apologize. I will come into your house with burnt offerings. I will perform my vows to you, that which my lips uttered and my mouth promised when I was in trouble. I will offer to you burnt offerings of fattened animals. With the smoke of the sacrifice of rams, I'll make an offering of bulls and goats. Come and hear all you who fear God, and I will tell what he has done for my soul. I cried to him with my mouth, and high praise was on my tongue. If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened, but truly God has listened. He has attended to the voice of my prayer. And then finally, verse 20, blessed be God because he has not rejected my prayer or removed his steadfast love from me. May God bless the reading of his word. Let's pray. Lord, as you have said in your word in Deuteronomy 32, verse 1 to 3, give ear, O heavens, and I will speak. Let the earth hear the words of my mouth. May my teaching drop as the rain, my speech distill as the dew. 
like gentle rain upon the tender grass, like showers upon the herb, for I will proclaim the name of the Lord, ascribe greatness to our God. Amen. You may now please be seated. So in light of what God has been doing so far, great and amazing things that he has done, in light of these things, how can you show and tell of his goodness and greatness to others? The second half of the psalm outlines for us how to do just that. It shows three ways on how to show and tell of God's goodness and greatness to others. We'll go from the simplest of ways to the most important, the most difficult of ways. But using the verses 13 to 20, we have this morning in reverse. The first one is the simplest. Speak out your prayers. Speak out your prayers. And although simple a point, it takes on great significance because of its placement on this, on this psalm. Psalm 66 opens with 17 full verses of joy and praise to God for His mighty deeds. You're looking at the sea turning into dry land. God's enemies cringing to Him and how awesome is His deeds toward the children of men. And then suddenly, as if out of nowhere, there appears this verse, the grim reminder of how the entire story could have been drastically different. The psalmist reminds himself that there is a time when prayer is a presumptuous, arrogant, detestable, and an obnoxious deed perpetrated upon the Almighty. We are alerted to the importance of properly approaching God in prayer. If there's anything worse than not praying at all, it is praying in an unworthy manner before the Lord. In other words, these verses talk about not material gain, not supernatural acts mentioned in verses 1 to 12, although in our fallenness, that's what we usually focus in our prayer, right? The second half of the psalm does not focus on God's awesome deeds and miracles. It does not talk about these things because it talks about something deeper, something more fundamental when it comes to prayer. And what is that? Just one word, relationships. How you relate to your God in prayer. Look at the emphasis here in verse 2, in verse 18, in these two verses. If I had cherished, the original is the cause to look intently at, if I cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. But truly, God has listened. He has attended to the voice of my prayer. The literal Hebrew word arrangement betrays its focus. It's arranged in this way. Because of the lawlessness in the heart of me, the Lord will not listen. That's Yoda talk for some of you. But, it's, but it beautifully reveals the emphasis of the verse. That it's not about answered prayers. It's not about what we're getting at Christmas or on our birthdays. By the way, it's my son's birthday again yesterday, always during the convocation. And um, if you can remember my first sermon back in 2013, um, his only request um, back then was a toy train. But now the only thing that he wanted was a slab of porterhouse steak cooked medium well. How times and things have changed. That's why I'm probably having the same thing at Stone Creek or wherever my host take me later today. <laughs> but, but I apologize. I don't want to come up as someone demanding things here left and right. In the seminary where I work, we teach our students, future pastors, um, this important rule in the ministry, wherever God leads me, I will follow. 
Whatever God feeds me, I will swallow. For as long as it's Portillo's and Giordano's stuffed dish pizza and Culver's cheese curds. The, the, the emphasis, let's get, get back to the verse, uh, but, but the emphasis on the verse is not about prayers that we so do often mistake for requests or birthday gifts or new iPhones. It talks about the heart. It talks about our central being as we relate properly to God. The more you see of this in, this, uh, in the next verse, verse 20, blessed be God because he has not rejected my prayer or removed his steadfast love for me. Did you see that? He blesses God because of his steadfast love. This is so important because as we show and tell about our God to the world, we show and tell about a God who desires relationship more than anything else. He's not a coin-operated or a self-checkout God that as long as you have the right card or coin and press the right buttons, you can always have whatever you want. We need to have a better understanding of our relationship with God, which goes beyond just receiving happiness from answered prayers and peace from silenced enemies. I like the C.S. Lewis quote. It says, God cannot give us happiness and peace apart from himself because it is not there. There's no such thing, and I can say amen to that. There's an old story about a nameless missionary in the Philippines that saw God do a mighty work in a small remote Filipino village where the whole barangay, the whole tribe, came to faith in Christ Jesus. The missionary recounted how they were so on fire for God that the men of the tribe would each go into the bush by themselves to pray for hours each day. They were, went so often in the months that followed that trails and the paths were carved out showing the individual paths walked by these prayer warriors to the spot that they would kneel down and call upon God. There was great accountability amongst these brothers in Christ. And if anyone became complacent and had slipped into neglected, the, neglecting their personal time of prayer with God, the men of the tribe would go to that individual and tell them, my brother, Grass is growing on your path. This is why the prayer meeting happening at the end of every convocation is a, really a great idea. Not because of ice cream and pie, although that's not a bad idea either. It's, it's genius that as we come together as a church, we relate to each other in our weakness, in our longing for God to work in our lives. That as we gather together to pray for our mission partners, we connect with them in a much deeper level, sending them back to the field enabled and encouraged, ready for one more year of the Lord's service. And so in light of the amazing things that we've seen and heard, the progress of missions, what does God require of us? First, we need to speak out our prayers. Second, we need to share our faith's profession as with most of the psalms, we don't know the author or the historical situation behind this praise psalm. Some scholars think that uh, it's King Hezekiah who wrote this after God delivered Israel from Sennacherib's inv invasion and then delivered Hezekiah from an early death. Some would insist of David as the author, but whomever the author is, the psalm not only divides the come and see and the come and hear to the show and tell clearly, but also the unmistakable division between a corporate profession of faith in verses 1 to 12 and a personal profession of faith in verses 16 to 17. 
For a taste of the corporate profession of faith, we could look no further than the idea that Psalm 66 is only the second of only four psalms that call upon the whole earth to praise God. And we need this in this church. We need to be able to show that we are, as the body of Christ here in Zion or in Guyana or in South Africa, that people in their own communities should praise God, beginning with a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus. But as the psalm progresses, it talks of not only a corporate effort of professing our faith, but also a personal one. Look at verse 16. It says, Come and hear all you who fear God, and I will tell what he has done for my soul. From the international, let's all praise God, to the personal, I will tell of what he has done for my soul. Nice. Observe what the verse says. There is crying. There is praising. Did you see that? Have you experienced that? Oh, what a sure testimony to others in that even in our deepest hurts that we can still give God our praise. And this is actually a norm for God's people. Scholars observe that in the Old Testament, calling on God when one is in trouble is actually a form of praise. And that is the parallel lines in verse 17, bring together the experiences of petition and praise. In other words, I am professing my faith when I praise God while in the midst of trouble. My personal testimony is important in showing others how much to praise God. And here is my experience that leads to my praise. And this is where worship becomes missions. I show other people that my God, the way I, that by the way I praise him, I tell them how God has been powerful in my life. I share how God leads my life. This testimony leads others to investigate, to come and see, to come and hear. I've shared this during the brown bag lunch, but I wanted to share this again to a greater number here. As the pandemic in the Philippines started last year, I began to post short-form videos on social media called TikTok. I'm, I'm sure this is uh, new for everyone here. And no, I'm not into uh, dancing and all that sort of stuff. It was originally a medium to promote our church's online worship service. Then when everything was closed, as we couldn't gather together as a church, so envious of CCC having to preach from rooftops and honk your amens, and so I went online. It's just me getting their attention, reading the Bible, giving a few comments and then praying. The videos went viral, reaching more than 2 million vo uh, views, 477,000 likes, 14,000 messages, didn't read them all, and 4,507 shares. But around the middle of last year, I've stopped creating content because of too, many, too many comments were hurtful online. They were, well, great at first. There's Fe Maghirang saying, um, she said, thank you for inspiring us, heart symbol. And then another said, I needed this. Thank you for, um, uh, thank you and God bless. Zell Joy says, uh, thank you, sir. Naiyak ako kasi problemado po talaga ako, sir. He says, uh, we've been having no food in the past two days. And some comments were troubling, like this one from Aja Micaela. Dito na po ako magsisimba sa TikTok kasi di ako makalabas. I, I'll worship in TikTok because I cannot go out. Go out. That was strange, and some were um, uh, and, and some were off key, really. Like little Shadow Luna, who said, "Bakit wala kang mask? Why don't you have a mask?" Um, Hi, little Shadow Luna. I was shooting these videos in UP Diliman with no one around me, as far as the eye could see. 
And this one from Audrey Cute Baby. And this one's really the reason why I stopped posting new content. Thank you po, Lolo, which in uh, English means thank you, Grandpa. <laughs> That's just too much. Uh, way too stressful for me. Well, the story is told about a group of people called them, who called themselves fishermen. There were many fish in the water all around this group. In fact, the whole area was surrounded by streams and lakes filled with fish. And the fish were hungry week after week, month after month, and year after year. These who called themselves fishermen met in meetings and talked about their call to fish, the abundance of fish, and how they might go about fishing. Year after year, convocation after convocation, they carefully defined what fishing means, defended fishing as an occupation, and declared that fishing is always to be a primary task of the fishermen. Continually, they searched for new and better methods of fishing and for new and better definitions of fishing. And further, they said fishing, the fishing industry exists by fishing as fire exists by burning. They love slogans as fishing is the task of every fisherman. They sponsored special meetings called Fishermen's Campaigns and the Month of Fishermen to Fish. They sponsored costly nationwide and worldwide convocations to discuss fishing and to promote fishing and to hear all about the ways of fishing as the new fishing equipment, fish calls, and whatever a new bait has been discovered. These fishermen built large, beautiful buildings called fishing headquarters. The plea was that everyone should become a fisherman and that every fisherman should fish. There's one thing that they, they didn't do though. They didn't fish. In addition to meeting regularly, they organized a board to send out fishermen to other places where there were many fish, in the Philippines or in the other uh, countries. The board hired staff and appointed committees and held many meetings to define fishing, to defend fishing, to decide what new streams should be thought about. But the staff and the com committee members did not fish. Large, elaborate, and expensive training centers were built to teach fishermen how to fish. And over the years, courses were offered on the needs of fish, the nature of fish, where to find fish, the psychological reactions of fish, and how to approach and feed fish. <laughs> Those who thought had doctorates in fishology, but the teachers did not fish. They only taught fishing. Year after year, after tedious training, many were graduated and were given fishing licenses. They were sent to do full-time fishing to some distant waters which were filled with fish. Many who felt the call to be fishermen responded. They were commissioned and sent to fish, but like the fishermen back home, they never fished. Like the fishermen back home, they engaged in all other occupations. They built power plants to pump water, and tractors to plow new waterways. They made all kinds of equipment to travel here and there to look for fish hatcheries. Some also would have wanted to be part of the fishing party. They felt called to furnish fishing equipment. Others felt that their job was to relate to the fish in a good way, that the fish would know the difference between a good and a bad fisherman. Others simply letting the fish know that they were nice, land-loving neighbors, and how loving and kind that they were enough. Now, is it true that many fishermen sacrificed, put up with all the kinds of difficulties? Some lived near the water, bore the smell of dead fish every day. They received the ridicule of someone who, who made fun of their fishermen's clubs and fa 
they claimed to be fishermen, yet they never fished. They wondered about those who felt that it was little use to attend the weekly meetings to talk about fishing. And yet, they did not fish. So the question is, is a person a fisherman if year after year, he, goes, he never goes fishing? End of modern parable. Sila. I leave it up to you to reflect on that one. So in light of the amazing things that we've seen and heard all this week, the progress of missions, what does God require of us? First, we need to speak out our prayers. Second, we need to share the gospel, the profession of our faith, verse 16 to 17. But there's one more thing, and this you might not like. We might need to third, surrender our prophets, verse 13 to 15. It's just interesting. That in a psalm that talks about the Lord's awesome deeds and relationship to God, that it also talks about our giving to the Lord. Sometimes standard 10% for some, but I know most, it's really sacrificial to you. The word of the Lord continues in Psalm 66 verse 13. I will come into your house with burnt offerings. I will perform my vows to you, that which my lips uttered and my mouth promised when I was in trouble. Did you notice the change from the I will come and see to the I will come and hear to the I will come and do something about it? it I will come to the Lord's house to give my offering. We've come to that well as well this morning. Notice all the words, I will perform my vows to you that which my lips uttered and my mouth promised when I was in trouble. By way of background, by way of background, um, it's a poetic tool that sometimes the lips become such independent agents that the person who owns them is at odds with them. Have you experienced that? Something that you should not have said and then oops. Eliphaz tells Job that his lips testify against him. The psalmist speaks of fulfilling his vows. His lips promised when he was in trouble, as if in an acquaintance made an, uh, uh, a promise for him, and now he must keep it. Oh, how we do this, right? Complete this sentence. Lord, if only you'd help me keep my job, dot, dot, dot. Lord, if only you heal my sickness, dot, dot, dot. But really... We know what, what follows. All our promises, all our vows. But really the focus is not on the promise, but on the I will perform. And similar to the presentations at yesterday's World's Fair, the psalmist goes all out. He says, I will come to your house, with, uh, will offer you burnt offerings of fattened animals with the smoke of the sacrificial lambs. I will make an offering of bulls and goats Scholars have noticed that the multiple nature of the sacrifices describing different types of animals, fattened animals, sacrificial lambs, bulls, and goats, talk about the total dedication and the profound thankfulness that each one of us need to do. I, it seems to teach us I will surrender to God anything. I will surrender to God all things only because of what God has did in my life. But are you convinced of this? Or is the first thing that comes into your mind when you read of this verse, when smoke and animals are mentioned, is barbecue, steak, and hamburgers? It's really, it's a total call to surrender all and everything, including your profits, which is kind of difficult to do at a time of inflation and soaring gasoline prices. It's still a thing back in the Philippines. It's still a thing. We have uh, 
the, the, the gas, gasoline prices are up top. There was this late one night that I drove into a station and almost turned back because it says um, these this, uh, words. Um, oh, how nice. Good thing that I was assured of my eternal salvation in Christ. Amen? But, but, but I digress. A missionary had been teaching tithing to his church one morning. A young Christian came to the missionary's door with a fish that he had caught. He said, here's my tithe. The missionary asked him where the rest of the fish were. And the boy replied, oh, they're still in the river. I just wanted to bring God his first. Whether it's 10% or 15% or 100%, please give to the Lord for the support of his work in this church and throughout the whole world. You know, I've already used this the last time I preached here, but I want to expand on it this time. The question is, why is the 1947 convocation so important, at least to us in the Philippines? Very personal to us, the convocation in 1947. Obviously, that was the, not the year that I first came and joined the convocation, but why is the 1947 convocation so important? And why do I keep on repeating this? Let me explain. You know, in Convocation 1947, some guy stood up from the pew at Christian Catholic Church and dropped in some money at the barrel. And then the year after, in 1948, an American serviceman who saw the ravages of World War II in the Philippines called up the senior pastor of CCC and said, Hey man, we need to build an orphanage for the widows and orphans in the Philippines. CCC pastor said, Oh, we've got money from the barrel offering that some guy gave during Convocation last year sends his money through the Bitcoin network, and then click, and then um, an orphanage was, uh, was, was created. Two people close to me would then become one of the first ones to enter into the orphanage, my own father and my aunt, Divina, who was only two years old that time. Divina is the wife of Pastor Eli Mercado, who is not here. And in the 1950s, the church grew blue, and... Um, uh, and later, a Bible institute, the Zion Academy, was born. And in 1990s, my father, who was a high school teacher that time, was called to become a pastor. And so, boom, in 2013, I first set foot at CCC Zion. I'm here. But you know, it doesn't end there. After 2013, you continued to give. You continued to support the Lord's work and then this family came in. Oh, what a lovely sweater you have there, Graham. <laughs> Steve and Judy, my first host family when I was here. They were my first host family when they, uh, I was here. They prepared me triscuits and with cheese and honey crisp apples and made me mow the lawn. No, no, no. Let me check that, okay? I wanted to experience how to mow the lawn because we don't have front lawns in the Philippines. We have in front of our houses, directly in front of the, our houses, what would you call um, streets? You're out the door, uh, into the street, into, in a jiffy. Graham was the first member of the family that I met, right? He was only 15 years old then. And I've been with the same family year after year, convocation after convocation. And then you kept on giving at the barrel offerings year after year. And so I kept coming back. But then in 2021, I heard the news that Steve and Judy moved to Phoenix. Oh, 
how I miss those two, Steve and Judy. But then early this year, I got the invitation from Pastor Mike um, to, for me to come to the convocation. I wondered, without Steve and Judy, are they going to let me sleep on the street now? It, it was only a few days before I left the Philippines coming here that I was informed that I'd be staying with Graham and Sophie Edwards up in Kenosha. I call them uh, Edwards 2.0. <laughs> and then when I learned that they were up in Kenosha and they were staying there, literally it brought tears to my eyes. And, and even now I can feel the tears welling up inside me. Because I knew that tax and gasoline was cheaper in Kenosha. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, I just had to put that in there. Well, kidding aside, I was really ecstatic knowing that I'd be staying still in an Edwards home. It's similar but different in a beautiful way. But as you keep on giving and more mission partnerships, are forged and expanded in the future. Wink, wink, Phoebus College of Bible, please consider Phoebus College of Bible, please. It might happen that this might not be my final convocation after all. I may be able to share my bad jokes and preach and present reports in English with bad, Filipino ac with bad English accent. And who knows, I may even reach the time when, when baby Edwards 3.0 <laughs> becomes an adult and old me scavenging for triscuits at his own kitchen. <laughs> but of course, this is just a thought experiment. But you get the idea, right? That as you give to expand the Lord's work in places that you could never go, outside the borders of the United States, connections, deep relationships with your mission partners and hosts and kitchen staff and the youth and everyone in this church are made right here right now and that is the beauty and the strong bond that we have right here right now that as Oswald Chambers observes the river touches shores the source never see, uh, sees your life and the giving of your prophets reaches throughout space and time to multiply the Lord's ministry. My friends, you cannot measure, you and I cannot measure the eternal significance of present faithfulness. So, know this, that when we assault the gates of hell, the gospel wins, Matthew 16, 18. That when the light shines in the darkness, no matter how dark the darkness is, light wins. John 1.5, and every energy, every time, every effort, sacrifice, partnership, every dollar that you invest in God's kingdom will bear an eternal result that far outweighs its present cost. And such investments do not only glorify God, they give our lives purpose, they give our lives direction, they give our lives significance. And so my friends, it has been a great week for this convocation, to see and to hear all the good things of what God has done here at CCC and with your mission partners overseas. But in the light of this, what we've seen and what we've heard, we must also show and tell God to others by keeping a clean heart before God in our prayers, by doing our part in our communities, sharing our profession of faith, 
and by surrendering our precious profits toward an unimaginable blessed future that God holds for each one of us. God bless you.